From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hardfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's show, we're talking about bites, but not bites of food, the bites that come often come with itching and doctor's visits. Mississippians love the outdoors, but we have to be mindful of the small and often hidden dangers like ticks and spiders. So we'll welcome Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center as we talk about tick and spider bites and what to do if you're bitten. Also, Dr. Major's here, ready to answer some pet questions. So join the conversation this morning. Give us a phone call. The number's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's show, we're talking about bites, but not bites of food. The bites that often come with itching and doctor's visits. Mississippians love the outdoors, but we need to be mindful of the small and often hidden dangers like ticks and spiders. So today we welcome Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center. We'll talk about tick and spider bites and what to do if you are bitten. And also, Dr. Major here, always ready to take your pet questions. So give us a call this morning. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, everyone. Hope that you're doing well today. Good morning. Good morning. Any exciting uh, uh, eclipse stories to share from uh, last Monday? Oh, gosh. I was at the Natural Science Museum, and we were full of people, and it was lots of fun. I think they said 5,000 people ended up wow. in there. Wow, yeah. Really. But now, you, where did you go? You took a trip. I was planning on taking a trip, oh. but unfortunately, one of my dogs was attacked, and oh, so gosh. I spent the time in the hospital. <clears throat> but I, the other dogs, I was actually able to put eclipse glasses on, and they enjoyed it as well. <laughs> So any report, I mean, I, I guess animals know not to, I mean, look at the sun, you know, it's a, so I guess there was never hopefully really any danger for our pets, Dr. Major, as far as you know? As far as we know, uh, they, you know, I guess it is possible, but in, in general, they're not going to be, you don't see dogs and cats and farm animals standing there looking at the sun unless there's something wrong with them. <laughs> and uh, I, I would say that chances are minimal. Uh applaud Dr. Galley for having glasses for his dogs. But, uh, oh, he actually did have a glass. <laughs> right. That's the, good. The, but, the family uh, with their it, glasses. It was, it was obviously an event, and uh, I do know several people that went to places where they had totality mm-hmm. and uh, certainly had report, good reports there. Uh, My daughter and little grandson were total... Right. Totality, and he he did put on his glasses and say, "More sun, more sun." So, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, uh, I have a friend of mine uh, had a pair of glasses, and so we shared them. And, uh, you know, I, I will say I think it was a little bit more visually stunning to see it than the reflected method. Um, but I also will say, and I th- well, I think if you'd been in the path of totality, it would have been much more dramatic. But for me, it was like we went out there. I noticed that uh, it seemed to be less humid, that it wasn't really dark, but it did seem to be less humid. But I looked up there, you know, 15, 20 seconds. Okay, that's good. About 10 minutes later, did it again. So it was, I wouldn't have called it a life-changing experience, but it was certainly interesting. And uh, I guess what, the next one is in 2020. 2020. So we, we 24. Can, 2024. All right. So <clears throat> save your glasses. Uh, because the other thing is there were some folks from IHL uh, who we share this uh, complex with. And I looked like some of them had what to be appeared to me to be very expensive pair of goggles, and I was thinking, gosh, I hope you can find some sort of use for those afterwards, because that seems like an awful lot of money to pay for. Hey, that was nice. All right, well, let's move on. So, yeah, yeah. Could take up welding. Well, <laughs> a good sidelight there, yeah. So a second career maybe for uh, those uh, those glasses. But it was a lot of fun, and like I said, I'm glad that I did uh, get the glasses on and look at it, because it was, you know, it was really uh, visually stunning when you did get to look at it. Um, the people that I've talked to that uh, were, you know, in the area where the total eclipse, uh, they said it got eerily quiet with the birds and everything, not not making any sounds, mm-hmm. and uh, I, that's kind of I guess to be expected. Uh, it really didn't get that dark here. You could tell it was right. a little bit of difference, kind of like a cloud, cloudy day or something. But I had expected yeah. it would get darker at eighty six percent. Sounds pretty bright. Just like a heavy cloud, wasn't it? And, uh, yeah, and the, the sunset sound really cool. That's what Emily said. Everywhere she saw, a ho- you know, everywhere you could see the horizon, mm-hmm. there was a sunset mm-hmm. all the way around you. That's, That's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, I think they pulled it off fairly well, but uh, I think the Friday before uh, NPR sent out a thing that they were having full coverage of the eclipse. And I'm like, eclipse on the radio. That doesn't really seem to. <laughs> but like I said, they did, they did a fairly good job with it as best they could. So yeah. uh, we're going to be visiting today with uh, Dr. Robert Galley about uh, ticks and spider bites. And so if you have a question about that or a pet, a quet, a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Let's begin though with Mary in Oxford talking about another kind of annoying bite. Mary, go ahead, please. Good morning. I had a friend tell me a couple of days ago that she had uh, an argument with some fire ants and is still itching, and it was very, 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 very painful. So she was wondering what to do about the bites to keep them from being painful and itchy. Best, best thing really is just kind of keep them clean. <clears throat> there isn't too much to, to really suggest. Um, there is kind of a venom that's there. What happens is the mouth parts, the ant bites on with the mouth parts, and its tail end has the stinger, and it just spins around in a circle. So you'll have a mm-hmm. ring of bites with the kind of lesions that look a little bit like little pustules. They eventually take their path, but there's not too much, unfortunately, that we can do. It is a venom, and with venoms, we we really don't have too great an approach. Obviously, you want to make sure that no infection develops afterwards, so keep them nice and clean. Doctor, I think that's one of the things we see a lot of times in people, not that I'm treating people, but still, you have the infection post, uh, if you're not keeping it clean, as you said. And as an aside, we didn't used to have fire ants, and you know they started in Mobile apparently, and have spread uh, mm-hmm. wide range. And I can remember my first encounter 
with them. It was on, when I was in high school. It was on a football field, and actually, some got up my uh, football pants. Oh gosh! And, and they let, of course, being sweaty and dirty and everything, they left some pretty good. Uh, uh, what shall I say? That was a distraction for the football game. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. They actually uh, jumped on a boat from Brazil in the 40s, and that's how it started, right. and it was indeed in Mobile. All right, Mary, thanks for the call. I know that I've had an encounter with fire ants as well, and it, it really is painful. I thought I remember reading something online, and I don't know if this is true, but it was like 10 amazing uses for aspirin. So they said if you wet an aspirin and rub it on a bite that sometimes that will help uh, with the pain. So that might be, I guess it wouldn't hurt, so it might be uh, something that you uh, might want to try. Got another early caller on the line, so we'll say good morning to Ann, who's called in from Clinton. Hi, Ann, go ahead, please. Uh, good morning. I've been waiting for Libby to get back. <laughs> uh, I found a uh, spider that looks like a octopus, okay. uh, kind of uh, salt and pepper type, I guess you'd say, coloring. Okay. Uh, and it had uh, plastered itself against my metal core, and I now see two little cotton things. I hope, I guess he's, maybe they had babies or something. Uh, and the other thing is a lizard, very, very small. I mean, really small. It's living in my little small mailbox, and it's a similar color. Um, what could either one of those be, and why suddenly they're showing up? Okay, first, I guess with the spider. Now, you're saying it's black and white. Is yeah, it? it it's kind of, it blended in very well with the black door, let me put it that way. Okay, is it like palm of the hand size? Is it a big spider? I would say, yeah, just your, just your palm now, not, not your fingers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it, looks just like, look, just like an octopus, uh, you know, with six or seven tentacles. Well, it could be an argiope. You might look online and see if that's what it is, a garden spider, a common garden spider. They make a very pretty web, and it tends to have a, what some people call it a zipper spider because it has that Z in the middle of the web. Uh-huh. And it's a very good spider to have around. It will catch gnats and mosquitoes in its nest, in its web, and um, it's it's certainly not going to hurt anybody or bite anybody, and it's a good mosquito control well i just kind of uh, you know pushed not pushed it away i didn't kill it or anything i just opened the door and shook the door and he went somewhere else around the front yeah and it's probably a she because the male is a tiny tiny little tiny thing uh now with the lizard if it is of course every lizard starts off small as a baby they hatch from little eggs so it it could be any kind of lizard could be found small the geckos the little mediterranean geckos and you have a lot of them in clinton it's uh, a little bit transparent you can almost see through it kind of a grayish tan color but you know almost really you can see some of its internal organs when you look at it closely and uh, they tend to not ever get too very big. I've seen those now. Okay, is that so? That's not what this is. This is is this green or? I'm gonna say again, it's kind of salt and pepper. Okay, there is one that's uh, that has a blue tail that'll look kind of a black stripes, blue tail looking. You could have one of those. In fact, several species start out with a blue tail, and they're they're. 
like I say, everything starts out little bitty. I've had people say, gosh, I saw a tiny little toad. I didn't know there was a small species of toad. I said, yeah, well. It's called a baby. Yeah, it's called a baby, yeah. And so that's probably, you probably have a baby lizard, yeah. All right, Anne, uh, good uh, call. And like I say, maybe uh, Google gecko and, and get some images, see if maybe that's uh, what you're yeah. seeing there. But, and uh, no, it's also the little lizard, of course, is a good insect control. All right. So two things to uh, maybe, as you said, and don't get rid of, but sort of keep out of your way, but keep around because uh, they're, they're very useful. And I always say anything that's going to eat a mosquito is certainly going to be welcome at my house, that's for sure. Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, uh, we'll continue our discussion. Our guest today is Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center talking about tick and spider bites. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions, and we always like to hear your brush with wildlife as well. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one 7464 Back with more after this. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center. We're going to be talking primarily today about tick and spider bites, uh, what to do when you get bit, but also maybe a little bit how to recognize a tick, ways to uh, maybe um, limit your exposure to ticks so that uh, you can enjoy the great outdoors without worrying too much about uh, bringing home an unwanted visitor. Uh, we've got some calls to get to on the line. Before the break, we talked uh, with, uh, I think it was Mary in Oxford, about um, fire ant bites. Uh, William from Starkville, you're on the line with some relief for bites. Go ahead, please. Uh, good morning. I've got two comments to make. One uh, uh, incidental, kind of frivolous. Uh, nobody's had a problem with, uh, with fire ants uh, getting into your, into your shoes or your pants like uh, a young woman who was in the Dr. Rasputin's Glider Club here in about 1960 at Mississippi State University, and she was airborne when she discovered there was a fire ant nest in the seat she was sitting on (laughs) in this glider that had to be parked outside. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the main main comment I wanted to make is that uh, ever since I learned that an itch is nothing but a tiny pain, ages ago, back in the 1950s probably, I've always used an aspirin before I go to bed for, for fire ant bites or for um, uh, tick or, or chigger bites, and you get relief uh, quickly and you don't scratch until morning. And I, I've, never heard any, I've never heard the medical profession mention aspirin as a, a solution for, for the irritation from these uh, bites, and they work marvelously for, in my experience. So that's my comment. All right, uh, William, thanks for calling in. Uh, Dr. Galley, does that seem like that might help? It's new to me. It's an anti-inflammatory, so certainly that could be adding to it. Mm-hmm. All right, got another caller to get to. We're off to Clinton again. Anna is on the line. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I was calling about fire ant bites. <laughs> okay. I get them in the yard all the time. And the best thing I know of, and it's worked every time, is to use a roll-on deodorant. <laughs> 
Libby I, was just saying that during our break. <laughs> I didn't want to say it on air, Anna. I'm glad somebody else is doing that. It works, oh, doesn't okay. it? Well, I missed you because I was getting something out of the dryer. <laughs> no, no, no I, we, were, I, we were chatting off air. So, yeah, yeah, I said it off air, but it, it has worked for me. Yes. And I believe it has something to do with uh, maybe the aluminum that's in it or in, in the uh, uh, deodorant itself. I, I read that somewhere. But it will keep them from turning into pustular um, Spots. All right. And now, Doctor Galley doesn't itch anymore. Yeah, Doctor Galley assumed that it, it might be because it dries out the area too. That probably helps. Yeah, hence you don't get yeah. that uh, pustule. Yeah. All right. Great call, well, Anna. You you made uh, you made Libby's day there yes. with that call. So yeah. So <laughs> I, I might say also that Doctor Rick is a specialist with this. He's well published on it. So if anybody has more questions for him, call on a Wednesday. That's right. Wednesday okay. morning at uh, at uh, ten. Um, on fire ant bites. 11. Wednesday oh. morning at 11, yeah. He's a big expert on um, bed bugs also. So, mm-hmm. yeah, any any kind of creepy crawly questions that you're itching, uh, Southern Remedy, Wednesday morning at 11. Dr. Rick Shays will be glad to help you out as well. Uh, we've got another caller online. Good to, to hear folks calling in this morning. It's uh, Scott who's called in from Jackson today. Good morning, Scott. Yeah, hey, how you doing? Good. I have a question. I was cutting my yard yesterday. I noticed about 10 end beds. What's the best way to deal with them, treat them, prevent them all? What should I do? I don't know what to do. I use an ant bait that you can get at any of the yard and garden stores and put it on, and then I think we put a little water. Usually we apply it right before a rain, and then the rain kind of carries it down into the ant bed. But listeners may have other solutions as to how they deal with it. You know, if it's if it's just a few ant beds, boiling water will kill them. I know a lot of people do that if you don't want to use any kind of a, a poison. The baits are not, they, they don't kill so much as what they carry it to the queen. I can't remember the action yeah, exactly, th- but it's supposed to be more environmentally friendly than a poison. Yeah, I like to treat the mounds individually rather than the whole yard. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the poisons that they have, you spread over the whole yard, but you're probably killing uh, some beneficial uh, insects yeah, and that sort of thing. I, I would recommend you use something just on the beds and not a broadly applied thing that would kill all your good insects. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for the call, Scott. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Dr. Robert Galley, talking about tick and spider bites. Uh, so, Dr. Galley, give, give us a little bit of uh, idea about your background. Uh, emergency medicine, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, specialized in toxicology, which why it doesn't really fit in with ticks because <laughs> that's the concern with that is you're going to get an infectious disease, <clears throat> which is why um, the discussions often get to spiders and snakes, which are venoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see a lot of uh, tick-related cases uh, in the ER? Well, we certainly see our fair share. A lot of them wind up in, uh, in ID clinics, infectious disease clinics, because obviously it is an infection. But a lot of people have a hard time getting into many of the specialty clinics, and so the emergency department's always available. And um, what is a tick exactly? This nasty little black thing that sticks onto your thigh and freaks you out. <laughs> we have a lot of different species, but I don't particularly care. Um, the one thing, though, that really is problematic as far as humans are concerned is that they, they do have a certain percentage of them have bacteria or viruses. Bacteria mostly. There are some newer ones that people are recognizing. The Powassan made the news just recently, which is a... Uh, uh, a virus that comes from a deer tick 
but Powassan is Powassan, Ontario, so it's up in the Canada and Wisconsin area, really not a problem for us. The, <clears throat> the one special thing about it is that unlike the ticks that, uh, that harbor bacteria, they need to be on your body attached for 36 to 48 hours before you're going to become infected. So it's so highly recommended that you check yourself if you're out in the woods or um, oh, for any reason, just to try to remove those quickly. The Powassan, unfortunately, can be transmitted in as little as 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So that becomes a bit more problematic. But again, not going to be an issue around here. Um, and I think from an earlier visit, I remember you telling us that they're they're quite opportunistic, and it's almost like they kind of wait in uh, they're in waiting, and if they see a host kind of walk by, they're they're very good at, at latching on. They're pretty impressive. They go through several different life stages, but the principal thing, of course, is that they're parasites. They want to attach to something in order to get a blood meal, and they have uh, four sets of two legs, so eight legs. The the two hind sets. They grab onto a long blade of grass, and the others are just reaching out for anything that will just come along and just brush up against them. Quite patient that way. It's called questing, and they grab onto that, and then they burrow into you. The way you, and many of these are, are painless because what they will do is they have a bit of venom as well. In order to get a blood meal, just like with a mosquito, the mosquito needs to get the blood, but the blood will have a tendency to clot, so they inject a blood thinner which allows the blood in that area to stay liquid so that they can get the full meal. Well, we get a histamine reaction to that, which creates the classic mosquito bite. It happens similarly with spiders, and it happens with ticks. And are there uh, parts of the body that they tend to gravitate to once they latch on to you? Usually the hardest ones for you to be able to inspect, and I'll let your imagination go with that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got some calls to get to. Again, we're visiting today with Dr. Robert Galley uh, from the University Medical Center talking about uh, tick and spider bites and uh, how to avoid them and how to treat them. Also, Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions. So we get start again on the phone lines. We go to Memphis and say good morning to Lee. Good morning, Lee. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Yes, I have a dog that I adopted, and she had mange, uh, cleared the mange up, but uh, she's got some kind of sensitivity to the grass, or something in the grass is making her itch. I've taken her back to the vet. They've given her Benadryl or Benadine, Benadryl, and um, some kind of steroid that they gave her, but it's not working, and she's still itching, and she likes to dig up all the grass off the top of the soil and lay in the dirt all the time. I guess it makes her feel better, but she's just always itching, and she's just miserable, and I just don't know what to do because the vet didn't, at least my vet, didn't seem to know what's going on with it. Well, a lot of times the itch reflex is, is one of those things that can be multifaceted. Uh, this dog may have true allergy to the grass, uh, this sort of thing. What type of mange did the dog have? Oh, I don't know. Or two basic, like two basic. It's such a scar on her coat. Where right, two basic, two basic types: demodectic mange and sarcoptic mange, or scabies. It was, it was, it was a demodex. Right, demodectic mange. Right. That, that was it. And a little bit hard to clear up. I, how long have you had this dog? Two years. Two years. Okay. Well, if you've tried various things, uh, even food changes, that may be a, uh, a, yeah, a possibility. The other thing would be, if you're not having success in bringing this under control, uh, I would suggest allergy testing 
and maybe you could uh, come up with a way to prevent either by a vaccine that can be produced uh, from the standpoint of the allergy or suggestions for removing some of those allergens from the environment, which is hard to do in Memphis or in Jackson. Is there anything I can put down on the ground, like where she stuck up the grass, like hay or something that would be soothing to her skin? Because I think maybe the grass is agitating her, but she's always going to lay in the mud. Right. That's difficult to say, and we've had so much rain this summer. Uh, it's been kind of a mud hole, probably. She's trying to stay cool. Right. Uh, there is a drug uh, that's non-steroidal that seems to work pretty well. You might ask your vet. I uh, don't like to advertise too much, but Apoquil right. is the Apoquil. name of it. Yeah. And uh, it may uh, give some relief. So talk to your vet about that, Apoquil. Okay. All right. Lee, thanks for your Good call. Good luck. Let's move on next. Uh, we'll continue on. We've got uh, our friend Kathleen calling in from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning, guys. I got three quick things. One, after listening to your show, Kevin, last week, happened to be in my room looking out my window, and yes, there was that yellow bird that we're talking about eating the things off the crepe myrtle. So mm. it wasn't just a unique bird or something just to him. Apparently, they just love that stuff. Okay. And second... Uh, I have a cure for the um, fire ant bite. All right. It's uh, cider vinegar, the high, uh, high, cy- um, high acid vinegars. I give them, if I have people working in my yard or whatever, I give them a plastic bottle full of it. When you pat it on, it neutralizes the acid in the bite and stops almost instantly. I mean, nothing. And third, I was out there <laughs> feeding my little rabbit, and... Um, there was this butterfly, a uh, deep, rusty orange. It looked like it had three little eyes on each corner of the thing, uh, the wings, and like a black ruffle. And it was just really interested in me. So I never did it before, but I held up my finger. I said, well, let's see if it land. And sure enough, it did. So here I am standing by the rabbit cage. I'm afraid to move. I don't want to scare. And I stayed there. I said, you know, if my neighbors saw me. <laughs> Just standing out in the yard like a statue pointing my finger, they're going to think, what is she doing now? <laughs> but uh, I just thought it was odd that it was kind enough to, to share a, a good fall joy with me. But um, I think I'm buying a spacesuit next time I go out in the yard with all that <laughs> kick stuff and stay walking around in it. All right. Well, y'all ha- have a good day and try that side of vinegar. It really does work. All right. Very good. And it's cheap. All right. <laughs> Uh, but, but how do you get the ants to drink it? That's what I'm not sure about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, um, oh and, you know, I guess we haven't mentioned, but a little deet on your pants legs. Of course, none of us want to wear long pants right now. So that's uh, – I, I put deet directly on my skin when I really feel like I need to. And mm-hmm. to keep to dissuade ticks, I'm perfectly willing to do that. I know some people don't like to put it directly on their skin. We were, we were just talking about allergies. And of late, there is a phenomenon that's becoming more, I guess, more recognized. And that is an allergy that develops from uh, a tick bite. And you literally cannot eat red meat anymore. Oh, wow. Um, It's an alpha-gal is what it's called, alpha-galactose. And in essence, we don't have that particular carbohydrate. And if the timing is right for the tick to have it in its alimentary system, bites you and injects you, you now get an IgE response to that so that anytime you now get an alpha-gal carbohydrate in you, 
i.e. red meat, you literally get a significant uh, allergic reaction. We have someone at university who actually has that. And it can be anything from just hives to swelling around the lips and the mouth to a true anaphylactic reaction. And we've had several people present with true anaphylaxis. We typically think of medications and never really consider that it's because they had a hamburger. Hmm. Yeah, I have a friend here in Jackson that has that now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real... And now, what would be the first symptoms? How would people know? Because that's a scary... Yeah, again, it's allergic reaction, and the, yeah. the unique thing about it is typically, you know, you hear about peanut allergies, and somebody gets a peanut, and within a matter of minutes, they have this allergic response with histamines, and they can't breathe, and they start wheezing. This takes three to eight hours. So you may forget about the meal completely and not recognize mm-hmm. that, oh, I've become sensitized to this, and so it becomes a real puzzle to try to sort out sometimes. Wow. That's, uh, <clears throat> if I had to give up cheeseburgers, I don't know what I would do. So I, I guess the, the word of caution, again, is use DEET when you're outside for lots of reasons now, particularly your shoes and your ankles if ticks are the worry, and check yourself mm-hmm. after you've been outside, and I guess really the sooner the better. But you, for most tick-borne diseases, you have a few hours to get that tick off. But it's best if you don't go to bed that night and sleep with and, it. And important yeah. to say that they're going to initially uh, come in contact with your feet and your ankles, mm-hmm. but they are going to climb on up, and they're going to find yeah. a comfortable, warm, moist area that they want to be able mm-hmm. to bite into where it's a little bit softer uh, tissue. Okay. Now, is it true though that the deep will dissuade them from getting on your Absolutely. shoes and your, and your pants legs? Yep. So that's yep. that's the the most important place to apply. It may the get deep. on, but it'll jump off. Okay, All right. Good. We need to take a break. When we get back, we've got Amy and Joe on the line. When we get to take their calls, we're also looking for your call this morning as we talk about a tick and spider bites and ways to prevent them. What to do if you are bitten? The number to call to join the conversation is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. We'll be back with more after this. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Talking about tick and spider bites today with our guest, Dr. Robert Galley uh, from the University Medical Center. Got some open phone lines. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. We do have some callers to get to. We begin again in Clinton. Amy has called in today. Good morning, Amy. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, Dr. Major treated for me a uh, puppy, and this has been years and years ago, a free puppy um, that <laughs> managed to roll in radiance. So um, that's one of, you know, we mentioned that not only do people get into the ants, but that animals do too and uh, what i do remember was that we had to keep him dry for a week and put some kind of medication on him several times a day 
Right. That probably was, uh, I suspect, genomycin and betamethasone in a spray, kind of, a little spritzer. But mm-hmm. uh, hopefully he did okay and it didn't get too bad. Oh, no, he, he, he did fine. As right. a matter of fact, uh, uh, he went on to, to grow up. He was a, a German Shepherd Doberman mix that you docked his tail and ears for, me, all of those. <laughs> and he managed to start running with the wild dogs and, and wound up getting sick. But what I do remember is that uh, he, he started swelling, and we brought, took him to you, and uh, I did surgery on him, and he wound up with uh, a liver cancer. But we didn't know that at the time. But you right. uh, asked me if we if you could send a sample to uh, Mississippi State to determine what the cause or problem was because um, your uh, com- uh, the other uh, vet had cut his hand while doing the surgery. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I recall okay. about that dog, free dog. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but I did want well, the people well, to know that, that other you know animals can can get into the radiance right. also. All right. Well, you took good care of him. That's good. All right, okay. Amy. Appreciate your call this morning. Let's move on. Next, we've got uh, Joe, who's called in from Tippa County this morning. Good morning, Joe. Go ahead. Good. Good morning. A couple of comments on the question. Uh, I own a farm up near Tennessee Line, and we got fire ants and all <laughs> kind of stuff up there. And I found that just this uh, fire ant poison that that uh, Walmart sells. It's very good. <clears throat> you can just sprinkle it over the top of the mound or you can kick the top off the mound and pour it right in the mound. And uh, there, too, the ticks are, the, uh, the fire ants are gone. Uh, All right, Joe, uh, if you could give us a call back. The, the uh, line was a little scratchy there. We'd like to hear your other comments, if you would. So maybe we'll get a better line if you could give us a call back. We'll put you right back on the air. We appreciate that uh, uh, call from Joe in Tippa County. Um, so, uh, Dr. Galley, um, what then, if you, again, as Libby said before the break, the best thing to do if you've been outside to do that examination, you know, right when you get back from uh, being in the outside, and, and, you do, and you had mentioned that it's in, important to investigate all parts of the body. They like the warm, moist spots of our body. So if you do have a tick, I guess there are a lot of myths for how to remove them, but if you could maybe separate myth from fact on, on removing the ticks. I think what happens a lot of times is people panic. They see this little creature that's there, and they just grab it with their thumb and their index finger, and then they squeeze the entire contents of the tick back inside their own bodies, which mm. is not what you want to do. Um, <clears throat> either scraping the tick off or using a pair of tweezers and getting to the mouth parts right down on the skin line, grabbing on and pulling that off is really the safest way to be able to remove it in the, the most careful way. And so uh, the hot match to its butt doesn't work? Probably not. It's, I mean, you can inhale the fumes if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that involves a match or a cigarette lighter is going to work, yeah. All right. Uh, we've got another call to get to. This time we're off to Ponotok. Linda's on the line. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Go ahead. I, my question is to the vet. I have a dachshund puppy that's uh, about five and a half months old, and she's She's had worms, and I took her to the vet, and they treated her, but she still has them. And I have a problem with them continuously having them. I mean, I don't know where they're getting them, how they're getting them. It's a little white worm. It's, you know, I'd say maybe half an inch or inch long. I'm assuming they're hookworms, but I don't know for sure. Okay, are these passed sporadically? Do you see them on the uh, feces or stool? Yes. Okay. You may be looking at something other than a hookworm, and um, those are tapeworms. They don't always show up in your vet's fecal examination. 
when he does that. Now, most of the worm medicine that's given for hookworms are very effective. Uh, usually it's uh, some of the Omnizo, uh, Safeguard, uh, Panicure. All of those are very effective, and usually you need to repeat that uh, after two to three weeks. But I'm suspecting that you're seeing tapeworms. Tapeworms are spread by fleas, and uh, the flea larvae, uh, they actually ingest the uh, tapeworm uh, egg or tapeworm larva. And when a dog or cat is licking and chewing itself, it picks up the uh, flea and the life cycle gets completed. So if you're seeing rice grain size or a little bit larger than rice grain size, you're probably seeing tapeworms. It takes a different kind of medication for that. Do I? I, they treated her one time, and now she still has them. So I need to take her back and have it done again. Yes, or can and I do this at home? well, make sure that you have your flea fleas under control. And I would say that in most cases, when we treat for tapeworms, we treat, and then two weeks later we treat again, because there may be some uh, developing uh, tapeworms that are not affected by the medication. So I would definitely say it needs to be treated again. Talk to your vet about that. He may send some medicine home for you, or you may need to go back into the clinic. Good luck with that. All right, Linda, thanks for your call. Um, we're visiting today with Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center. He's helping us learn more about ticks and spider bites. So, Dr. Galley, are ticks usually solitary? I mean, is there a chance that a number of ticks would jump on you and you'd get more than one attached to you at, at the same time? Uh, the ticks... Uh, hard ticks and soft ticks. Hard ticks can have as many as ten or 15,000 eggs. So if you've got a clutch of eggs that are hanging around, then probably you're going to have the, the early stages, uh, and particularly the larval stages, um, in, in a clustered area. Um, one thing that you can try doing just for your own experiment, if you're concerned about a certain area, is just get a white sheet have somebody grab one end, you grab the other and just kind of trail it along the grass, turn it over and see how many ticks you pick up. And you'll know whether or not that's a safe or an uncomfortable place to be. And the little tiny, what you're talking to, we call seed ticks right. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And there, it's hard to at first even detect that it is a tick. Mm-hmm. Uh, once it gets once it bites you and gets embedded, it's hard to even see on your skin. But when it's moving around is when you're going to notice it. One thing that we've talked about before, at least somebody uh, mentioned this, is that in your yard, if you've got a fence, you need to have a perimeter uh, if weeds are on the other side, this sort of thing. But they say, and this was one of the people we had on the program, that if you keep your grass three inches or lower, that generally you won't have ticks getting off. I mean, that's possible, of course, but uh, Mm -hmm. they're they're there. uh, And a lot of times you have a fence, chain link, or other fence, and you might have some uh, brush or shrubbery uh, there that they could be attaching from. All right. Got another caller to get to. This time we're off to Kosciuszko. Jean's on the line. Good morning, Jean. How you do? Good. What do you uh, have for us? I have a, a soothing, really old-fashioned remedy that I love for uh, any kind of an insect bite, and that's good old Dr. Tishner's antiseptic. Okay. I don't rem- know if any younger people know about it, but it uh, it's, I think nowadays they call it a mouthwash, but uh, through the years it's just been everybody's antiseptic, and it has a little arnica in it, and uh, that's a very good uh, natural thing to put on. And um, one other thing, uh, 
I have a, I live in a very woodsy area, and uh, I am just I hate chiggers. And um, I wear boots out in the yard anytime I go out. Well, one time I had a notion, and I bought two cheap dog flea collars and put around my boots. And I didn't get any chiggers. I wonder what you and the vet think about that. <laughs> All right. Gene, thanks for the call. Uh, any Dr. Major, any thoughts on that? Well, it's not approved. They're not approved for people, but I do know people that have done this when they're out in the woods. Uh, and they may be affected. Most of those collars have probably a promethrin in them, maybe something else. And I would not want it on direct contact with your skin. But uh, Dr. Galley may have a different idea about that. I'd just be careful that you have a tendency to lick yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. We need to take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap things up. We've been visiting throughout the hour with Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center talking about tick and spider bites. Uh, As we wrap up the show, we'll talk to Dr. Major about how to keep your pets safe from ticks and also talk a little bit about spider bites before the show ends. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with our guest, Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center. We've been talking about ticks. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about spider bites, but uh, Dr. Galley, before we leave ticks, you wanted to mention that I think a lot of people associate Lyme disease with ticks, and because that's one of the diseases that is carried, but uh, not a concern for this particular disease here in Mississippi? Not uncommon that certain diseases are isolated to certain places. We talked about Powassan being up in Canada. Lyme disease is more the New England area. It's more northern. The infectious disease people at university are pretty adamant they have never found a proven, lab-proven Lyme disease uh, to any of the patients that they have seen, unless they've come from somewhere else. If someone travels to Connecticut and comes back down here, that's a different story. Now, that's not to say that you can't have a presentation of a disease process that looks quite similar. Uh, STARI is the name of uh, one entity. It's it's the Southern Tick-Associated Rash Infection. And it has the same e-migrans, which is this migrating red circular rash that travels around your back and chest. Um, and it's and it's quite as obvious. It's uh, known in Lyme disease. And right away, when people and physicians see that, having read something in a book someplace, they're going to assume, okay, that's what this is. But as it turns out, that's the Borrelia burgdorferi burgdorferi um, organ, uh, organism, and we don't see that. 
So that's uh, that that's very different, and we don't and we haven't found that tested. So again, there are so many others. Oh, there's ehrlichiosis and tularemia and any number of different other associated diseases. But again, the best practice is to be able to monitor your own body and remove that tick because it takes 24 to 48 hours to be able to transmit the disease from a tick. All right, very good. So, Dr. Major, obviously ticks uh, can be a problem to our pet, although I think if I remember correctly last week when we were talking about <clears throat> talking about this on the show, uh, this week you said that it's more common in, in dogs than cats. Do cats not uh, suffer from ticks as often? Interestingly enough, most cats can remove the ticks themselves. Usually if a cat has multiple ticks, it's sick anyway. And uh, very rarely do we see an adult cat uh, ticks, but it's possible. Sometimes they can get in a place where they can't get to it. Uh, dogs, you know, for some reason, I haven't seen the massive number of ticks. I'll say that, and then today we'll have them at the clinic. <laughs> massive number of ticks on dogs. Sometimes we'll see a dog come in with 7,500 ticks at least. <sighs> and uh, it's they've walked through that area that uh, Dr. Galley was describing where they hatch out, and then they get all these ticks on them. Uh we do see a condition uh, where uh, ticks can literally cause paralysis. Uh, it's usually a, an ascending, well, descending, excuse me, ascending paralysis. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually the back legs are affected first. The dog may act like it's drunk and then can have total paralysis if untreated. Uh, rarely do they die, but it is possible that they could. Uh, there are good tick preventive medications that are out there. There's a good collar. There are several uh, products that are used. One is a three-month uh, product. The other is a monthly. And then there's a whole host that are sim- similar monthly. So, yes, there are products that can help prevent ticks. We actually see that in <clears throat> toddlers and in, in children because it, uh, um, they get affected. And the one thing that's important to let people know is that when you're searching yourself or you're searching your children for ticks, make sure you cover the scalp really well because they can get uh, kind of lost in all the hair. Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about spider bites before the show is uh, over. Um, are all spider bites harmful? I mean, I guess they would be painful, but uh, how do you determine uh, how serious a spider bite is or can be? 20,000 different species of spiders in the United States, and all but two are venomous. Wow. Now, as it turns out, they've got to have mouth parts that are big enough to be able to latch onto you and to inject you. And so, and again, each area is notable for specific creatures. For here, the really two that we worry about are the brown recluse and the black widow. Black widow is going to cause muscle spasm. Uh, that's really quite impressive. That gets um, mistaken sometimes for uh, somebody having a heart attack. If you get bit on the back, it feels like a tightening around the chest, and you start clutching your chest and having a difficulty breathing. Uh, in kids, it gets uh, misunderstood sometimes as maybe an acute appendicitis because their belly gets really firm and painful. Um, when it comes to brown recluse, on the other hand, uh, you start seeing tissue damage, and the tissue damage really is over a longer period of time. Frequently what will happen is people will come in and say, I was bit by a spider, I've got this lesion, and we see hundreds every year in, in the emergency department, and yet they're probably not spiders at all. They're probably bacteria that um, basically gets into the uh, the hair follicles, and if they start breaking down the tissue and create a little bit of, a, of an eschar or a scab, 
uh, then right away people start thinking, oh, I've seen a picture like that, and that's what you see with brown recluse. That doesn't happen for days after the initial vesicle that is the first thing you see, which is like a blister breaks down. Then you see the scab, and then when that breaks down, the fatty tissue underneath it starts to break down. Most people get treated with antibiotics, and this is a venom. Antibiotics don't work for venom. So more than likely, each time, it's uh, it's an infection. And it's, I guess, a lot easier for the doc to be able to say, oh, yeah, I think you got a spider bite, so we'll give you some antibiotics, than to say, I think you got some poop on your arm, and we probably need to clean it off better. But if So if the antibiotic clears this thing right up, it probably was not a spider bite. That's correct. Well, especially the brown recluse. And we do see an occasional brown recluse bite in a dog. And you get a necrotic spreading lesion. Uh, By that, the tissue is damaged enough that it creates a hole there, basically. Yeah, Paul Paul had one on his arm once. And we actually, we saw the spider and killed the spider, but it, it took a long time for it to heal. And there's not much you can do. Some yeah. people would say Dapsone works because the venom requires your own white cells to be able to break down your tissue. And Dapsone is what's called a leukocyte inhibitor, which means it doesn't do, it, it stops the white cells. We really use it only in leprosy. And I don't have too many lepers come into my emergency department, so I'm not that familiar with it, although we are using it in HIV more so these days. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a difficult process to deal with if it's the true brown recluse bite. One last call this hour goes to Catherine, who's on the road this morning. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. I'm listening to your show about the spiders and everything else. And as you're talking, I look up and I'm going my cruising at 65 and I see a spider web going across in front of me. So I just grab it, and the next thing I know, I see a spider jumping over my cup. And so I pulled over while you're talking about brown recluse, and I'm trying to find this spider. <laughs> well, if it made a if it made a web in your car, it is not a brown recluse. So that's one good sign, yeah. Okay. So that's a good it's sign, real, yeah. It's a real plump like beige color i saw it but i can't find it okay yeah it's probably a house spider it's got a real round abdomen (laughs) and it there must have been an insect that attracted it inside the car yeah so it's maybe it's eating the insect but if you find it it would be great to get it out of your car i'm gonna try how is it that if your windows are always up that a spider can get in your car because one time I was vacuuming out my car and I was vacuuming the headrest and then all of a sudden it pulled the spider out behind my headrest which I mm-hmm. almost fainted. How can they get in your car if it's always closed? Your car is not like a submarine. It's not <laughs> hermetically sealed and so as a result there are tiny little crevices everywhere that something as small as a spider or ants can get into uh, and are a little bit difficult to deal with. Yeah, right. through the they come in through the dashboard, I think, mm-hmm. up up through the motor into mm-hmm. the dash. But now, when you think about it, too, a spider could have jumped on your back as you got in the car, and then jumped <laughs> off of your back onto the headrest, and you would have never seen him. Yeah. All right, Catherine, or thanks her. for that call. Yeah. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's land, water, and wildlife and from contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Dr. Robert Galley, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's MPB's Season Pass. 
We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.